And I think that learning what the spirit is and what it isn't was really important to me because I realized that I thought sometimes the anxious, anxiety, crazy thoughts I had were the spirit. Like I've given the spirit a lot of credit for a lot of negative thinking in my life. Um, And once again, I think some of that does stem from my feelings about like the word atonement and the way that was used in my home and that what I saw, what it meant to lean on the atonement and it was not a happy thing to watch. And so people would talk about that in church and like, you know, they talk about me using the atonement and I was just like, that looks like laying in bed, the shades are drawn, you know, like the shades are closed. Um, I, I'm not a part of my kid's life. I'm crying all the time. Like I can't do that to my family. And which is why, I, I mean, I struggled with suicide ideations. I, I can't even tell you how many suicidal thoughts I've had, right? Because also as a young kid, I knew that my dad had almost attempted suicide many a time and had made a lot of plans and things. And I knew that as a small child. And so I think it's something that my brain has been obsessive about my whole life. I'm appreciative to Julie Lee for this episode of The Cultural Hall. We talk about some pretty hard topics, things that need to be discussed, things that need to be discussed more. And I appreciate her openness and vulnerability as you're about to hear. Remember that if you love this episode and you want to hear and see The Cultural Hall continue in perpetuity, we would encourage you to become a Patreon saint of The Cultural Hall. You can go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall there's a five dollar tier and a ten dollar tier that money helps to go for things like the website and uh, other various platforms that we are enabling to do more and more every week and every year you know this is episode number 507 that's less than 495 let me do some quick math that's 493 episodes until our 1000th episode don't worry i'm not going to count down the point is We do a lot of episodes, and I feel like we do a lot of good. And if you want to be able to share us with folks, we would love it if you do that. If this is your first episode of The Cultural Hall, know that we do at least two episodes a week. Typically, we do one news episode. We take the latest and the greatest and sometimes not so great stuff from the headlines and be able to talk about those things as they affect members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then... Another episode, we do an interview. Sometimes it's a book author. Sometimes it's a, a Mormon, quote, person of note, and uh, and we share their story. Or if there's just something interesting that we feel like we need to go a little bit deeper on, uh, it's all the stuff that you'll have in the cultural hall. One night, you may have a basketball game, and the next night, you may have a religious devotion. That's, that's why we call it the cultural hall, because anything can happen here. I hope you enjoy this episode of the cultural hall. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, this time visiting with Julie Lee. Does that name sound familiar to you? It almost sounds like an app that you would buy because Julie Lee would be like, you know, get your latest whatever thing from Julie Lee. Download the app today. But her name is, in fact, Julie Lee. She is a podcaster, an author, a speaker, uh, famous maybe for the phrase, I see you. Welcome in, Julie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, uh, you know what I'm talking about with like the app thing, right? Where everything has an L-Y on the end of it and everything is like, it's goodly. It's, you know, jubilee. It's it's all that kind of stuff. Oh, I didn't. I was, I was, I've always had people say that they think my name sounds Asian. Oh, like, really? Ah, oh, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. That's what I hear. Yeah. Uh, I like that. 
Yeah, no, it's, it seems like here in a time, uh, in addition to saying now that more than ever and in these unprecedented times, we've also leaned really mu- a lot into making every app an adverb, adding the Lee at the end of it. And then we can be like, yes, buy it. Yeah. Come, anyway. Put an L-Y on the end of that. Slap yeah. it on. Yeah, I digress. That's not even how you spell your name. Julie, uh, we have tried back and forth for a little while to get you here in the cultural hall. And I want you to know that I see you. I literally see you now. Uh, folks that are Patreon subscribers, they're able to see you as well. But what does that mean? What does I see you? You've built this whole brand around it. And I want to make sure that I, I, I know even what the heck you're talking about. So I like the analogy, like an avatar, they use it. The the people in avatar, the, I'll oh, see, it's in my book and I don't even remember their name. Mm-hmm. The, the blue people, the, the Smurfs. The planet is Pandora, the, yeah. yeah. The, the Navi, right? The, the Navi? Yeah. They use that. They say that phrase, I see you. Um, and I think theirs is a good, a, like, I don't know. I, I just, I love the way they do it. So I see you to me is being present with someone, having compassion for them, connecting with them. Not any of this. Well, it's like what you just said before we started. You said your hair is so cute. And I was like, thank you. And you're like, no. And I really mean that. Like, even just that moment, I feel like is I see you. It's like, I'm present with you. Mm-hmm. I've had experiences all through my twenties where I started struggling with severe anxiety and depression and got into some really scary places. And it's truly the people that like sat with me in that uncomfortable space and saw me like for me Mm -hmm. as a real human being struggling, um, that saved my life multiple times over Mm -hmm. and over again. And so I see you, I started my podcast two years ago. I see you. And it's just all stories of how people really have felt seen and how that's completely transformed their lives the way it has mine. And I think especially in our culture right now, you know, there is the temptation for that disconnect. Um, and we definitely are seeing it where we're this year, especially has been really tough um, as far as people feeling isolated and feeling disconnected and there being a big divide in our in the way we talk to each other, in the way we um, speak of fellow human beings. Mm -hmm. And I see you is here to combat that. It's just, I see you, you're a human being. You are worth listening to because you breathe and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. You know, that simple, (laughs) that simple thing, uh, which seems really simple, but for we as, as, as human beings, it's, it's not easy. Certainly as members of the church, it's maybe in some ways, even harder where it we feel like it maybe should be easy. The concept of, you know, all being brothers, sisters, uh, you know, children of God, it, it seems like a level playing field, but for whatever reason, we seem to mess it up. Yeah. And I think, I think it probably also sometimes depends on where you live with the church. I don't know. I think that here, I live here in Utah and I wonder sometimes while there's so many great, I love Utah. I love so many people here. I think something weird can happen sometimes when a lot of the members of the church get together and we kind of start seeing these strange habits. And I think it's like, maybe, I mean, the gospel is so important to us and, you know, as it should be, it's, it's a huge part of my life, but sometimes I think we have the expectation that it should look the same for all of us. And we start like strange, I don't know. It makes me think of like, six roommates in college where all of a sudden we're all in sync on our period, right? Like, it's like all of a sudden we think we're like supposed to be the same. We start like wearing the same clothes and having the same long beach wave hair. Like we just all got to be the same. And I think it's really easy then for, um, to, to stop seeing each other as like very specific, different human beings and take the judgmentalness out of that, that we aren't supposed to look like one certain type of Mormon, you know. So let's dial it back a little bit. Um, let's go back in time if we can. Uh, tell me a little bit about where where you're from originally, what family is like, and 
and uh, what your interaction with the church has been over your life. Yeah. So I have was brought up in the church. I have, there's seven kids in my family. Of yeah, origin. there you go. Well, you know, that's how we do it, you yeah. know? Well, that's, um, but that's an interesting thing because maybe that plays in a little bit to being seen, right? In a family of, of seven kids, it can be hard to be seen. Yeah. And I think, as I tell you, the circumstances we are under, especially, so I was number six of seven kids and brought up in the gospel, parents very active, very dedicated to the gospel. My father was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was, I think, three years old. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I mean, we're getting a lot better about talking about mental health and taking away shame from it. But at that time, it was not talked about. It was a different time. And it was a very, there was definitely a shameful feeling about it in our, in our family, in our home. It was kind of a secretive thing. Um, and I don't know that my parents even ever said this is a secret, but it was just, we didn't talk to people about it. They didn't talk to a lot of people about it. Um, and it was a very interesting way to grow up, to have such conviction uh, for principles of the gospel and also watch so much heartache and depression. And I think because of that, I have really had to start over with what the gospel means to me. I've had to start over deciding whether or not do I believe a God exists? Do I believe Jesus Christ was the man he said he was? Because we're told again and again that the gospel brings happiness and peace. And I believe that. I've seen that in my own life. Mm -hmm. But I didn't always see that growing up. And I was with people who really, really believed. But because of other circumstances, it was often a very tough, hard place to be. How and, and experience, you know, some pretty traumatic experiences with the gospel being such a prominent place in our lives. It, it can do a mind trick for you, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. How was dad's bipolar explained to you? Because as a young kid, I'm sure that they weren't like, you know, bipolar is a disorder. But like, how did they, how did they explain that to you? For my dad? So bipolar is different for every person. And there's even questions about, you know, if it's a misdiagnosis, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a name, right? That's, right. that's the best that they could do. Uh, but he definitely was more the severe, severe depression. Hmm. Um, the mania did not, was not quite what you, that's, it's kind of like, that's like the, I don't know, like the sexy thing to see on TV, like <laughs> the cool thing, you know, that's what we see is like, we want to show the dramatic differences between the mania and the depression. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily always like that, depending on the case. And his was, he really leaned like, if there's a spec or a, like a teeter totter, and this is depression, this is mania. His was really depression heavy. Mm -hmm. And so his mania was not as high, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not that, that it wasn't there, but it was really his depression that left him in bed and, you know, out of work and in and out of panic attacks and just really hard time for him. So for me, I was more familiar with, I knew he had bipolar disorder, but I was just so familiar with the depressive the consistent depressiveness in our home and that dad was not there for a lot of things and that we would cancel things last minute often, depending on, you know, it was, it's hard in that, in that time when there was nowhere else that they could openly talk about it. I know they talked to some people, but you know what I mean? It mm -hmm. wasn't like, like for me, like I say, I'm susceptible to anxiety and depression. And I can say that in my day and age, and maybe there's people that bothers, but like they'll figure it out, whatever. It's not a big deal. Right. But to have that kind of intense suffering stuck in a home with seven kids, it's like there's nowhere else for that energy to go. And so it was very all consuming and that I really I felt like and I certainly feel like our, our lives kind of revolved around it, despite the fact that 
my parents tried really, really hard and they did the absolute best they could, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was, it felt like the sun at times and we revolved around the bipolar disorder and it kind of dictated our lives. So as a young kid, that's obviously all that, you know, because as we, as we start out, you know, our family of origin is just kind of all we know. And then we start to gain a little independence as we have friends and we go into school. And then as we get older and middle school and into high school. So what did that transition look like where you were able to find yourself more out of home and, and see, your dad in in a different light or see you know what exactly that was and and how it was different from other people's experiences yeah because you're exactly right whatever you have is your normal and yeah. that was 100 the case for me and i think especially for me because my old i'm six of seven so my older siblings knew my dad before he got really sick um he got really really sick when i was a brand new baby mm. uh, maybe even a little bit before I'm not sure on the timeline on that, but I never knew my dad, not that way. Mm -hmm. And so I, and I also had the gospel very connected with that behavior. And so it wasn't until. I want to make sure I understand what you just said. So you connected the gospel with your dad being this, this extra level of depressed. Yes. Okay. So when, when, as I got more and more outside of the home, especially like in high school, when I would spend more and more time at other people's homes and watch the interactions and the way that their relationships worked in their home. I I think I felt some grief because Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, it can be this way. But I also hung on to the idea that I had this idea that was kind of instilled in me that Heavenly Father had chosen this trial for our family Mm -hmm. and that it was because we were so strong. Like there was something elevating about that that I think I clung to, Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of make sense of it and to because that's, that's hard to swallow, to see other families function in such a healthy way and to think it could have been like this. Like that's, that's, that's still something that brings me grief, you know, um, at, at moments. And it wasn't until when I, when I went to college and moved out of my home and I, I had a great relationship with maybe not the healthiest in some ways, but I had really kind feelings towards my parents. I've always adored my parents. I've really you know, there were siblings that got mad at different times and that's how they deal with it. They'd leave the house and they'd go be with their friends. I was like in it with them. I was snuggling with my dad in bed, watching a scary movie because I thought I could help him. You know, I was like always telling my dad, I loved him so much because I didn't want him to do something bad. I didn't want him to hurt himself, things like that. I felt very responsible for their feelings. Mm -hmm. And so when I left the home, I still felt that, but there was definitely a reprieve and a relief of like, okay, I get to start my own home now. And I get to, and I'm like a super bubbly, super happy, outgoing, positive person, really hard worker. I get what I want. And so I was determined that whoever I was going to choose to spend my life with, like, we were not, we were not doing that. We were done. Yeah, done. Yeah. And so when, I mean, um, I don't know, like our third date with my poor husband on the doorstep, I was like, listen, dude, you have any history of mental health issues? <laughs> like any. Yeah. Because I'm super into you, but like we are, can't. Yeah, if if we need to get if we need to get tested or evaluated, I'll pay for it. That's fine. Let's get to the place. But if there's a hint of that, if you've got history of that, then like this is over because I can't do that anymore. I, I, I feel like I've done my part. I Mm -hmm. have all the compassion in it. It's it's very painful for me though, and I want a different life than that. Mm -hmm. And luckily for him, he does not have any history. He's like, oh. Yeah. No, um, but you can understand that why two years into our marriage, when I had my first panic attack mm. in my brain, my life was over, over. 
because of all my siblings. And I've had multiple siblings tell me this of everybody. And I think my parents would agree with this too. I was the one anyone least worried about ever with that. Right. Because I'm just so full of like, I will not be depressed. Mm -hmm. You know, that's Mm -hmm. how that works. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. that's how that works. And so then came the next, you know, decade, this all through my twenties of on and off antidepressants in and out of counseling, all the therapies, all the oils, like any potion a witch wants to give me, I'll drink it. I don't care. Mm -hmm. I'll learn a new, I would literally just Wikipedia or Google search lists of how to combat depression. And I would sit there and I would check them off because I was going to control this. This would not, this was not a life to live if I was going to deal with this consistently. It's an interesting thing though, then hearkening back to what you said, like, Hey, this is the trial that, uh, your family has been given and that you would find your way through that. I've, I've got to think that at some point within all that and seeing it, it, it manifests itself within your life. I mean, you could have made that choice that's like, hey, God wanted me to be able to deal with this in my life. But what it sounds like you're saying is that you were like, no, 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 we we trial over, God. We had our chance. Give that somewhere else or not here, not not a part of my life. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, and I think that learning what the spirit is and what it isn't mm-hmm. was really important to me because I realized that I thought sometimes the anxious, anxiety, crazy thoughts I had were the spirit. Like I've given the spirit a lot of credit for a lot of negative thinking in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and once again, I think some of that does stem from my feelings about like the word atonement and the way that was used in my home mm-hmm. and that what I saw, what it meant to lean on the atonement. And it was not a happy thing to watch. And so people would talk about that in church and like, you know, they talk about me using the atonement and I was just like, that mm-hmm. looks like laying in bed, the shades are dropped, you know, like the shades are closed. Um, I, I'm not a part of my kid's life. I'm crying all the time. Like I, I can't do that to my family. And which is why I, I mean, I struggled with suicide ideations. I, I can't even tell you how many suicidal thoughts I've had. Right. Because also as a young kid, I knew that my dad had almost attempted suicide many a time and had made a lot of plans and things. And I knew that as a small child. And so I think it's something that my brain has been obsessive about my whole life, just that it's an option. It's just sitting in there, you know, because as a young kid, I was, you know, it's shocking and it's your brain wants to make sense of that. And what is that? And so I, it's like anyone dies my whole life. And my first thought almost every time is, was it by suicide? Hmm. And it's interesting that then as an adult, so, I mean, the first day I had my panic attack, that was already sitting there of, I know that my dad almost did this and he, and he loves God and he's so active and he still almost did that. What does that all mean? Hmm. I want to take a break and let's come back. We'll pick it up right where we uh, have left it. Uh, We'll do that in the second block of the cultural hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember, you can always get in contact with us. We're on all the social medias at the Cultural Hall. Uh, Find us. We're there. Pinterest, you bet. We're doing the Pinterest thing. Facebook, yep. Twitter, uh uh-huh. Instagram, also there. You can also find us at theculturalhall.com. 
And if maybe you're a little old school, you do the electronic mail. It's contact at theculturalhall.com. Would love to hear about guest suggestions or what you thought about this episode. You can always give us a review, too, wherever you're picking up this episode of the show. Uh, find it. I think you've already found it, what with you listening to it and all, but we're the Cultural Hall everywhere. Julie, let me ask you this. Uh, I think that it's a tendency of some people uh, when they are put through hard situations and they feel like they are given to them by God to be like, all right, pal, I'm done. There is no God. A God wouldn't do this to me. Uh, did you ever have that kind of experience? And how did you find your way through it? Oh, absolutely. I remember a time when a therapist said to me, are you angry at God? And this is when I started really working through my childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, are you angry at God? And I was like, no, like you don't get mad at God. Like that that had never even occurred to me. Mm-hmm. She's like, all right, it's it's okay if you are like. I'm just saying he can handle it if you're mad at him. Right. And I remember going down into the parking lot and sitting in my car and all of a sudden it's like, it just came out. And I just told him exactly what I thought about him. And I was just like, and I started weeping. Like, I am so mad at you. Like, how could you, how could you allow all of that to happen growing up to an, to an innocent kid mm-hmm. to see those things. And then to put me through this hell again, because I know you can fix it. Like, I know you can, and you're not. And so what kind of father is that? Right. So I think that I have been really, really angry at God, but still believes he's there. I've also, you know, depression is like, I don't, I mean, I guess I can't speak for everyone, but I can, I can say from my experiences, like it is almost impossible to feel the spirit when you're in that hole. And not only for me, because my anxiety was so intense as well, both were intense. I'm feeling things. Some people talk about feeling depressed, not feeling anything. I've never had that. I'm feeling a lot of things and it's a lot of darkness and it's a lot of crap. Mm -hmm. And so definitely I have started hundreds, probably a thousand prayers with heavenly father, please be there, please Mm -hmm. be there because I never didn't want him to be real. I, man, I want him to be real, but I, I wondered if I just believed a lie my whole life because it's all I knew, mm-hmm. you know, what if I, what if I had lived in India and had been brought up in a different religion and that's what I was taught my whole life. So that felt good. That felt familiar, familiar. Mm-hmm. What if none of this is true? Because yeah, I had a very simple understanding of, of what the gospel meant. And I felt like I was deserved of being saved, saved in the way that I wanted to be. And, you know, and God didn't heal me that way. He didn't, I remember a time in my bathroom laying like my face on the nasty, dirty tile floor. I start with this in my book, reaching my hands across the tile to touch the tub saying, I believe you're there. And I did. I need Christ to appear before me right now so I can touch his cloak and be healed. Mm -hmm. I need that right now. I need it to happen. It didn't. Yeah. didn't come. However, not too long later, I had a different experience where I was sitting in the kitchen and I was writing in my journal, doing more therapizing, trying to fix it. And my little boy was two at the time and he walked by me. And because of my experiences growing up, I'm very terrified of it ever affecting my kids. So, I mean, I'd like go in the shower and like ugly ball panic attacks. And then I'd come out and play Candyland. And I would, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I was not doing that. And so he was walking by and I was crying. And so I was, I had my hand over my face like this. So he wouldn't see, and he was trying to say something to me. And you know, at that age, they're just like, their language is so garbled and they're just talking nonsense all the time. Right. And you just right. go, huh? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Anyways, but he was saying, he was saying, mom, mom, mom. And finally I, I wiped away my tears and I said, Sam, what? And he just looks at me straight in the face, this kid that like can't put sentences together. And he just looks at me and he says, mom, Jesus loves you. And then he just walked away and kept garbling about other things. And, um, you know, I could say that's because I had held him up in front of a picture of the savior in our house and said, Sam, Jesus loves you. I told him that so many times. Mm-hmm. I could say that, but 
I believe the spirit testified to me in that moment that someone wanted to make sure I felt seen. No, he was not going to miraculously heal me so that I didn't have to draw on resources that he has blessed this earth this earth with. That wasn't going to happen, but, but he was there and he was like, we're doing this. I'm here. We're doing this, you know? And um, those moments and then, and people showing up just right when they needed to, I, I can't, I feel like I would be a fraud to say there's no God. It just, it can't be. And in my understanding and my personal experience, there has to be a God. There has to be a God because he does show up, but it doesn't mean that he's always going to, you know, he's not, he's not our servant. That's going to do it exactly how we want, when we want. There's a dangerous thing within our culture, though, that would say you're just not praying hard enough or you didn't mm-hmm. pray the right way or you must clearly not be leading your life in a way that God could heal you or cure you or whatever. Uh, did you have those feelings? And, and then maybe let's talk a little bit about how wrong and toxic that way of thinking is. Yeah, I'm going to call BS on that first. Okay. Um, just like just like I'll say that about you know, we struggled with infertility for years and years and there's 14 year old girls getting pregnant in the playground slide down the street. Mm-hmm. Is, is that a righteousness thing? Like it just, you can think it, you can think, I talk a lot about in my book about um, overcoming black and white thinking. We can think that way and it feels safe. It feels so good to have all the answers. It just feels so good. But I think everybody comes to a point in their life when things don't add up anymore. And so then you choose. And that's why I think at that point, a lot of people do end up leaving the church because it's, it's just hard. Like, because it doesn't match what you thought. Mm -hmm. And I've certainly been there where it's like, I want it black and white. I just want it easy. I want it to make sense so I can feel safe and control my life. Mm -hmm. But no, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Nope. And, and I didn't, um, I didn't just pray and have it go away. And I didn't have babies come right when I wanted them to. And 14 year old girls have them when they don't want to. So that's apparently that's not how God works. Uh, Just a quick aside about that. If they're getting pregnant on a slide, I don't want to know what that slide is and what's going on. Like, let's keep those kids away from us. I'm just teasing. Uh, (laughs) I only say that because I was a second grade teacher and I've worked at elementary schools and I found things. And so I know that it happens. Oh, okay. I I was like, like, why the playground slide? Why? I mean, of all the things to say and and to be, but, but you're, but you're right. I think there is very much, especially within the church, right? There's right or there's wrong. There is, you know, there is doing the thing or not doing the thing. And and some people will hear that and be like, yeah, no, that 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 is 100 percent what it is. But there is there is some beauty to be found within the gray um, and maybe gray isn't isn't the best way to to explain what that zone is. I like but to say color. Yeah. In the color. In the black okay. And color. OK, yeah. I'll take that. I'll take color as a better way to describe that. Gray, gray. I used to use gray. I talk about that in like my first, fifth episode. I talk about black and white and gray thinking. Uh-huh. But I just think there's too much like meaning attached to that in the church of like justifying sin of like, well, it's a gray area. People get that in their heads and it messes with what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Anyways. I know. Listen, I take, I'll take it. That's a great way, especially to kind of break through that barrier. But even with that aside, knowing where you are with um, being able to figure things out with your faith, with your life and all, and all that, there are other people that will stay, that will still give you sort of that, that, um, yeah, I, I don't the great term for it, I'm not sure, but they're like, oh, sure. Like that religious superiority or that, yeah, this is where you think that you are, that sort of judgment uh, combined with whatever their experience is. And, 
and 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 they don't validate uh, what it is that is your experience. That's what ICU to me is, is all about is validating that that experience. Right? We don't we don't have to have the answer. We don't have to know what their outcome is necessarily going to be like. But as a faith, we want to have all the answers. Right? Just like when Nephi this, just when Moroni that. This is the thing that you need to do. So just do this, Julie, and you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Just work a little harder. Just, just, and I think that um, in some ways, I think I, I hope that I can be a powerful example of that because like, I mean, people that knew me, there's a definite before and after when I began struggling and it's like people that knew me before, it's just like, there was no, I'm not perfect, but like, I've done those checkbox things I have and, and they're important and they're good and they help guide us. But like, there's something, our, our life is so much more rich and real than that. And being in control of everything. I mean, that just that type of thinking can't work out. Like just take the Holocaust. Think about that for a second and think about those little kids. If their parents love their little kids, as much as I love my kids, like the thought makes me a crumble. Mm-hmm. Bad things can happen to good people. And we know that for other people, but man, it's different when it's you. Yeah. It feels different. It feels so impossible. You know, I have, my sister is dying from cancer right now. Oh, I'm sorry. And she has six kids. Yeah. Oh, oh. She has six kids, And it's just so hard and it's so painful for all of us. And especially you look at those little kids and you're just like, this is crap, God, this is crap. Right. Mm-hmm. And it is crap, but there is meaning. And I'm not, I'm not going to be one. I'm not going to play God and say, this is exactly why this is happening. Mm -hmm. But he's, he's led me long enough that I know that there is a savior and he will make everything good and well eventually. And in the meantime, that's enough for me because I have spent time being angry with God and digging and digging and needing answers for myself and not like surface level, whatever, like it's not enough anymore. Like I'm either in or I'm out. If this is not the truth, if, if you're not real, any of that, like there's a lot of other lifestyles that could be living that sound a lot easier right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But it changes you. It changes your commitment. Like you, you start, you're going to church for you because you need it. Cause I need Christ and you need Christ. And I think it also levels the playing field. Like you talked about. And I feel like I see people differently because people even that maybe I would have been intimidated by before for better, for worse. Like I'm not intimidated by anymore because I know, I know who I am now and I know who they are. And like, I know we are, the race is not against each other. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It never was, but that's where we start forgetting to see each other is when we start trying to race against each other and get in each other's lanes and stuff when it was never about that. And I think, I think God's up there and, you know, I think that he loves us, but I think that there's such a wider, richer, more fulfilling more relaxing way to live. And that's like, you don't have to worry about other people's outcomes, right? Like there are a few callings in the church where yes, you are involved in, in helping people repent and things like that. But like, I certainly don't have one of them. Mm -hmm. And those people are given that mantle and that spirit for a reason. I'm so grateful that I just get to like love and snuggle people and just be with people and just try to be as much like Jesus Christ as I can and, and love them. And that's what, I mean, it's like, even before it's like, I didn't want, I never wanted to, you know, you, there's this feeling of, you don't want to self-promote because mm-hmm. is that pride? And, you know, there's a whole, sure. there's a whole story behind that. I love being in a place in my life and writing a book where I'm like, no, I believe it's true. Like I, I believe it's true. And I, I do think it would help you to read it. Mm-hmm. And that, that to me, that's not pride. That's I'm capable. You're capable. God loves us. 
I felt like I should do this, see what you think. And it doesn't feel, I just, I, we're all on the same. I don't, I don't feel that I am any better than someone else if they make different life decisions than me. It's, it's just, I don't know. I'm way happier. That's all I can say. I'm way happier. Mm -hmm. I'm more committed to Christ than I've ever been in my life. There's an interesting part of this discussion, though, that we haven't even really touched on. Uh, people that have never de dealt with uh, mental illness or depression, right? Mm -hmm. Those that, that, whether that's because that's what their makeup is, they don't know. Maybe they have experienced it, but they call it something else. Um, they're not uh, aware of that within them or within uh, others that are around them. And so they hear something like this and they go, well, Julie, put your pants on, put your, yeah. put your boots on and get out and, and do the thing. Or to be able to connect with with someone who is feeling all of these things is such a foreign experience for them. They don't know how to help that individual or anything that they do uh, say or do ends up being detrimental because of such a disconnection in what that person has experienced and what they've experienced themselves. Yeah. And it is hard for me. I forget that sometimes because it's so, because of my experience now and how like I know what I know now, mm -hmm. but I remember living like that. I remember that. And I wasn't a bad person. And so to people like that, I would say like, oh, I hope you never do. Like, mm -hmm. heck yeah. Like I would not, as much as I wanted my husband to understand what I've gone through, I, I was just like, no, no, I would never. And I, I think that part of that has to be said too. There's obviously different le levels of depression, anxiety. So like when you talk about, they don't know they have it and stuff that was definitely like from what I, I hear that and I'm like, uh, there's no way you wouldn't know, but mm -hmm. I also understand there's different levels. And I think what I've dealt with has been on a pretty severe end, maybe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like not capable of tying my shoes. I felt like, right. Like yeah. I definitely, but, uh, I, and so I think that if people think that depression is like, maybe I've had depression, maybe I haven't, I think that's a different conversation than what mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I would say to those people, I just think it would do you a great benefit and you would feel I think you would be able to um, feel even closer to your savior to trust and have compassion and be so grateful you've never dealt with it. And also know that there is hope for those that do. It's, it is not a lost cause, right? It is, there is so much hope and just, just love people. You don't, you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to worry about how hard they're trying or whatnot. Like just, man, we are so complex as human beings. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to judge another human being that way because like, yeah, you look at biology experiences, personality, like it's just, there's, we're so unique. There's just no point. There's no point. You just, you just love on people. And I don't think you'll ever regret that. And I think you will make uh, your deity very proud. Well, it, it's such a journey that we've taken even within the last decade within the church, right? I think that if you traveled to a decade ago within the church, that it was something far less uh, spoken of. Uh, what immediately comes to mind is a talk by Elder Holland in 2013, where he talked about mental illness being a, a real thing. Is it is it that talk, or are there other individuals or messages that have been shared within a gospel context that you have said, "Oh, okay, so we're talking about this more. Let's let let's let's share some." Are there are there those kind of things that come to mind? Yeah. Yeah. And you hear him here and there. Oh yeah. Elder Hall. I was sitting in the conference center when he gave that talk and I just wept because I, I felt seen, mm -hmm. I felt seen. Right. I was like, cause Elder Holland, right. Superstar general authority, right. We all love him. He's mm -hmm. just an incredible speaker. And, um, yeah, I felt seen, yeah. but I will say that I have felt in me this growing, just light and, and like purpose. And that like, I have to talk about this. I have to. And so 
but and there have been there have been these pioneers of people talking about it but for me talking about it out loud saved my life like talking about it because i was so consumed with that black and white thinking what it like i had to talk and to reach out and stuff like that but in doing that that created a lot of healing and all of a sudden i was just like why aren't we talking about everything? Like, I don't care. And, and it's fine. Like I have people, I, most people are super supportive and kind. Of course, I've had some people that, you know, they just wish I would keep this to myself. Like, it, cause it's not always, I'm first of all, I'm a good time. Okay. Like there's, I'm a good, good time. All right. You're asking about like the deepest, darkest, hard things in my life. And that is a lot of, of, of some of the things that has been one of my greatest teachers, right? Mm-hmm. It is, mm-hmm. it is a part of me, but like, I just, people that don't want to talk about it. I'm like, you know what? I don't feel angry at them, any of that, but I also, I'm not going to stop because this is creating really positive change and it's, it's saving lives. This is what I needed to hear when I was in the hole. I'm not really interested in, in the people that um, are criticizing, like those trying to reach out and, and, and trying to pull people up out of the hole. I just like, they have their path. They'll figure it out. I love them. I still want to find ways to see them, but this feels like God's work to me. And there's nothing that's, there's nothing that's going to keep me from that. I want to take another break. And when, uh, when we come back, I want to talk about how we can make this uh, more a part of our in church service and what that might look like, how we can make it more a part of our conversations with others. And uh, then of course, we'll ask you the three questions that we ask everyone who step into the cultural hall. That's coming back in the third block of the cultural hall. A lot of people think uh, of great ideas for podcasts, but fewer actually execute on those ideas. Have you had something that you've been lolling, mulling over, lolling over? That's been in the back of your mind is what I mean to say that you've been thinking about for a while and you're like, yeah, you know what? I might really want to do that as a podcast. Well, as it turns out, uh, in addition to doing this here show, I also do podcast consulting and teach a class that will help you take you from your idea to publishing. So if you want to reach out, there's all the ways to reach out to us at The Cultural Hall. You can send us a message or contact at theculturalhall.com. I would love to be able to speak to you about how we can make your idea for a podcast a reality. Again, contact at theculturalhall.com or you can find uh, The Cultural Hall on any social media at The Cultural Hall. Hey, this is Dan, the laptop man from PC Laptops. Friends, I know a lot of you guys and girls are working from home. So here's some tips for making sure your computer is ready for working at home because if your computer fails, it's going to be really hard to get it fixed because of dwindling supply and parts. But we have parts right now and we have a limited supply of new computers available for you. Make sure your computer is healthy and virus and malware free. Hackers are trying to infect people and stealing their information during these challenging times. We'll scan the health of your computer for viruses and malware, plus scan your hard drive, memory, and components to make sure you don't have any failing parts. You want to make sure you have strong antivirus and malware protection software as well. Just get into any PC laptops and we'll check your hardware and your software and scan your computer for viruses for absolutely free. Just go to PCLaptops.com. At PC Laptops, we've been serving you for over 28 years, and we've got your back during these times of need. We're all in this together. So just go to PCLaptops.com, and we'll get you taken care of. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, don't forget you can become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall by going to Patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. Remember that if you are a Patreon saint, you get to be a part of the secret but not sacred Facebook group where all of the Patreon saints hang out. We talk about different tangential things from the episodes, and I also get comments occasionally like, that was the most offensive episode I've ever heard. I don't think that will get 
from this episode, but who knows? You can leave your comments well, there. The playground slide. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's a good point. But that's on you, not me. People don't take issue with other people's statements. Sorry only now, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. So uh, I think this is all well and good, Julie. And if everyone could buy into this, man, what a better place we would be. But the problem is when we go, or I guess not problem, the issue to be resolved is when we go to church, it's people from all sorts of experiences and all different, you know, backgrounds and and uh, generations and all these things. And so we come very idealistically to come into a room, call it Elders Quorum or Relief Society, and we want to talk about these very serious things. We don't have time for the trivial nature. This life is short. We want to be edified by others' experiences. And I'm thinking of a particular experience where we were talking about mental health and we did we had this, these amazing experiences of one man sharing about how his wife had struggled with depression for 38 years, crippling manic depression. And another one who said that he had spent time uh, at uni, which here in the state of Utah is a, like a place you check yourself into and it's 24 hour surveillance and all of these things. And then the capper on that discussion in Elders Quorum was a guy that said, well, I don't know what is all of your problem. You just need to pray harder. Thanks for coming to you know my TED Talk, essentially. And then that was the end of the class. Now, how can we, because I think these are important conversations to be had, there, there are two different things that, that come to play at this. One, uh, I think there's a struggle within the church where we think that talking about these in some way is a past transgression, right? A struggle. We don't want to share that we've struggled. And there's that way of thinking. And then two, how how do we even create these safe spaces so that when we're talking with other brothers and sisters, we're trying to be edified. We're trying, as you said, to come closer to Christ through these experiences that we believe are God given. How can we how can we have that be better than it has been? and move forward, become become a better people? I mean, there's a lot of answers to that question, but the one that is resounding in my head is getting to know Christ because he certainly sees us and he certainly knows that we need to talk about these things. And he certainly knows how to treat people when they struggle. Sin, transgression, susceptibility, weakness, it doesn't really matter. He knows how to do that. And so when we teach people about Christ, I think that is it will help, right? I think that being open about it is great. I think that sharing what you really feel, and I don't want to downplay, like sometimes we like to say the Sunday school answers and stuff like, dude, the Sunday school, the Sunday school answers like are a powerful part of my life. They're not nothing Mm -hmm. like the simple things. Those are how I come close to God. And they're not, they have been so helpful. I just think that you got to be the change. You got to start sharing and showing that it's okay. And don't apologize. Don't apologize when you cry. Mm-hmm. Don't apologize when you share that if you shared too much, not that there's not a place to like self-regulate what we share, but we are one body. We are meant to be Christ's body. We are meant to be one. How can we help each other? And how can we ever truly belong if we do not bring our full selves? So I never want to go back to being a person who cares so much what everyone thinks. Like it is in comparison with what I know now, that was a miserable way to live. Mm -hmm. And at church, which we say is God's house and Jesus Christ himself, we believe takes time to walk the halls. That should be the safest place in the world. And it hasn't always been for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It hasn't always felt that way for me, but there are enough of us that are saying, no, what's Christ's gospel really, really about? Maybe we got distracted a little. 
by, by other things that are true, but maybe we forgot about the simpleness of what did God, what did Christ teach? And we want to be like him. And that means everybody has an equal seat at the table and everybody gets a chance to talk. And as far as like prescribing to other people how to fix their problems, I just don't think Christ really ever asked us to do that. So I don't, I don't know where that came from, Mm. but I think that we would do well to say, I'm sorry, period. I'm sorry. Whether it's self-inflicted or not, I'm sorry you're suffering, which I'm not saying it is in that case. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But whether, even if you think that in your brain, it doesn't really matter. That's not really your job. How uh, in the time of of the pandemic, certainly we aren't in the social structures and circles that we are normally. Uh, I think that that in a normal air quoting, of course, normal setting, it is easier to see people because you're able to see people and make connections. And and those things that people aren't saying you can see and you can obviously see a light or a countenance or whatever the thing is. How have you been able to see people uh, in in the time of being essentially physically disconnected? I think you have to get really creative. I think that for me, I've had moments where I've, I'm a crazy extroverted person. And so like I could be with people every day and be happy. So this has definitely been a challenge for me, especially not being able to see my sister as much who I know my time with her is very limited, but we also have to be very careful with her. So it's been this constant, like taking care of my mental health and doing what I need to do, which is sometimes seeing other people and spending time with my sister who I know I'm going to lose. Like it's been a mind game. I just think it's all about getting creative and getting, I would say two things, getting creative, finding ways to see people do not use this as an excuse to not see people when they need it more than ever. Do not use it as an excuse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one way getting creative, like last night, we did a game night with my sister and some siblings with a zoom call. And beforehand, like she dropped off a Ziploc bag on everyone's porches with like the game sheets we'll need and the marker. And then we just sat there and I was up to one 30 in the morning, just (laughs) doing that and seeing other people. It's not the same. This is not the same as an in-person interview. I think there's something about being with someone else in the same room, Mm -hmm. but man, it's totally better than nothing. Like it is helpful. It is good. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I just think you got to be creative. It's dropping off brownies. It's texting people like, yeah, it sucks. And it does not take the place of being in person. But this mentality of disconnection was why I started ICU in the first place. And that was several years ago. And I wrote most of my manuscript right before COVID hit. And it's like, man, do we need it now? Right? Like, I was feeling isolated inside and there were people that saw me for me and just loved me and would sit with me and wait with me while I crawled out of that crap. And now it's like other people are finding them feeling real isolated. That was me inside my brain. Well, now we're physically isolated and that can do things in your head. And man, we just, we need each other. So I would just say, you got to find a way to see people. You got to find a way to see your parents who are alone. You got to do whatever it takes And you can do that and still be a good citizen and, you know, like whatever, but don't use it as an excuse. Just think a little harder, figure it out. It's an interesting thing where people would look at you maybe from the outside, super extroverted. You called yourself bubbly. I would echo that. Um, You have a podcast. You have a book. You're a speaker on under normal circumstances where you would go around. Uh, People would obviously look at that and go. Check, 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 check. There's the box. Check, check, check. She's got it figured out. Do you feel like you have it figured out? No. I feel really proud of my life. I feel like I'm on a great path. I feel connected to a higher power, all of those things. 
I feel like every day I'm going to borrow an analogy from Brad Wilcox was my professor. I um, taught second grade, so I did elementary education and he taught one of our classes. So it was a really small class. So it was fun to, to I didn't know who he was before that. And so I didn't really think anything of it, but um, he's, a, he's a powerful teacher. And one thing that he taught us that I think about a lot is he talked about how he's like, you know, I'm a stake president. And he was saying all the things he is. And he's like, I'm just juggling. And he was like late to class every day. He was always <laughs> late everywhere he went. He's like, I, every day, what I pray for is to know which balls I can drop because every single day I'm juggling and there's no way I can keep them all up in the air, but it's understanding which ones can drop that day and which ones can't. Hmm. And I, I shared that analogy with my therapist, my current therapist actually. And she said, yeah. And I like the idea of thinking, praying, which ones are made of glass today and which ones are rubber, like which ones will bounce. Like we'll be all right. Like if we met, you know, if I don't spend time with my husband tonight, like we're in a good place, we're all right. We're good. I can give more time to, you know, I can speak at this devotional or do this thing. And other days when you're like, no, my marriage, like it's made of glass today. Like it can't, it can't be one of the balls that drops today. I try to live my life like that because man, it would be simpler. I mean, I don't know how many times I've like sat down and been to my husband and be like, I quit. I'm done. Not doing the podcast, not doing any of it. I'm done. Like just such a black and white thing of like, it is hard to balance being a mom of little kids and trying to do this on my own. And my husband took over my office. I was, you know, like, and I was supposed to be speaking more now because my kids are getting to school. And then the pandemic hit, like, there's so many reasons I can just be grumpy about the situation, Mm -hmm. but it's knowing, I think that, no, I choose this. I choose to find ways to see people, to get my message out there. And I'm going to have to learn how to be creative, but what balls, but balls are always going to drop and that's okay. That's normal because this is the life I choose a rich, fulfilling life. I want to be in my home with my kids. I want to be super present with them. I want to be, I want to give them a childhood that I wish maybe someone could have given me and that's okay. It's healing. It's a healing experience to do that with my kids. I also feel like I am meant to do other things as well. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to choose between the two. Mm -hmm. I'm going to juggle every single day of my life. And that is a peaceful place to be for me. So I don't know if you call that figured out because it's, it can look a little chaotic at times, but it chaotic, but peaceful. Maybe those, maybe those don't work together. It's, Complicated. It's, I don't know. Complex. It, you know what I'm saying? It's chaotically peaceful. If that can be a yeah, thing. Like, yeah. like it's okay. It's okay to not have it figured out every day. Like how relaxing is that? But, but there are balls on certain days that I make sure that I don't drop. And that, I don't know, that to me, that comes back to learning that personal revelation and trusting in that. that. But there are people likely that will be listening to this that have never admitted it to themselves or to their loved ones or to their kids or whomever that one, right? I Like I can think of of people who I know are struggling, but you they won't allow themselves to say, yes, I'm struggling to their partner, to the people that they work with, to the people that they worship with, to their own kids. What, what do you think the real value in being honest and being seen for who you really are is it's super scary right what if i what if i tell people who i am and they don't like that that sort of false thing what's the value in actually doing that i would say and i'm going to steal this thought a little bit from Brene brown who also has been an impactful part of my healing her books uh, specifically her book the gifts of imperfection but she talks about um in one of her books and i just man this aligns with my experiences you will never feel like you belong until you are you. How can you truly belong in a marriage, in a family, if you're not yourself? Because you will always be wondering, but what if they knew? It is a totally different experience to be loved by someone knowing that they know you and they they pick you. That's a, man, that's a different experience. 
And I, I have so many friends, you know, I have a lot of friends who are like gay and, you know, they struggle with this a lot of like, people wonder why did they come out? Like, why, why can't they just keep that to themselves? Why can't you keep depression to yourself? Why can't you, you know, like keep the fact that you're attracted to men to yourself? Like, why does that need to be my business? Right. Because that person will never belong if they can't show up and say, this is a big part of my life and feel loved. Like, how are they ever going to belong in a church like that? How are they going to belong in a family, in a marriage like that of saying, here are my weaknesses. Here's me. Do you still want this? There's a, there's a, I love the Broadway show, Dear Evan Hansen. We went and saw it in New York a couple years ago. And, you know, I, I cry every time. I don't know how many hundreds of times I've listened to that soundtrack, but there's that part where he says, he's not, I, you can sing it if you want to, but he says, what if, um, what if they really saw me? Would they like what they saw or would they hate it too? And like that line brings me to tears every time, because I think that is what it feels like to be isolated is you just wonder, yeah, they, they like me because I'm, because I'm like this, they like me because I fit this mold. But what if, what if they really saw me? Would they like what they saw or would they hate it too? And that is the lie. Depression wants you to believe that a lie that makes you feel alone, right? I'm alone. No one gets it. Well, how do you get rid of that? How do you get rid of that lie as you prove it wrong? Hmm. You let someone see you and you see that there are people, no, they don't hate it too. That was a lie in your head. And you start proving those lies wrong. And all of a sudden, like there's Satan doesn't have that kind of power over you anymore. And like you said, I don't have it figured out from a mental health standpoint as well. I still feel at least for now, like I plan to be on medication permanently for the rest of my life. If, if that changes great, but I have been in a place where my stewardship over my family was at risk. Mm -hmm. And that is the most important thing. And I know that this is a resource from God that he is, has drawn me to use. And I'm cool with that. And it's crazy that I wasn't before. It's so unfortunate. But even with my mental health, like I still go to therapy. I still feel myself slipping and I'm like, oh, I feel like I have one foot in the hole right now. Mm -hmm. And what do we do about that? Right. Mm -hmm. I think Elder Holland still does tune-ups. I don't know. I've never met him, but I think he does. I think that's being a human being. Yeah. That's being a human being. And none of us are Christ. Like we're just not. Yes. We strive to be like him. We are not him. And we were never expected to in actuality be him and be perfect. Uh, it's such an interesting thing. We wouldn't have time to go into it right now, but the idea of medications where people draw a stigma on that so much, we would never, if you had, a, you know, an infection in your body and someone took antibiotics, we would never be like, oh, you had to take antibiotics, huh? Hmm, well, all the judgment there. But for some reason, when we talk about these antidepressants and stuff like that, people change that on its head and go, oh, well, I'm going to judge you as far as this goes. But they wouldn't with something else. I just because I know you, I know yeah, your biology. Yeah, 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 I know the trauma yeah. you grew up with. I, I yep. just I get it. So yep. I work harder. Yeah. 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 In there. Yep. Yep. All right. Three questions. We ask everyone who steps into the culture hall. Julie, I will ask those of you now uh, with an additional fourth question, because I want to know. Uh, and I'll ask that first additional question right now. Have you ever actually listened to the cultural hall before? Are you familiar with what we do? No. Okay. I'm the worst. Yeah, well, I'm going to call you to repentance on that one because uh, great conversations constantly had wide gamut of uh, members of the church and talking about their experience and things that happen within the church. So with that in mind, you don't know what these three questions are. I'm excited no. to be able to answer them or have you answer yeah, them. Yeah, this is a cold call, man. The first question is, is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? Yes, I do. I am a newly 
young woman's advisor for the older girls. I just left my calling as gospel doctrine teacher, which I absolutely loved. And now I get to work with the young women. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? I don't know if it exists, but I would love to be the greeter for the rest of my life of all time. The I see you greeter. Okay. The welcome, I see you, you are seen. There's your seat. Now take it. I love it. The final question, uh, and certainly maybe the most serious of the three, but it doesn't have to necessarily be serious. The question remains, though, what is your favorite part of your faith? Growing up with a lot of uncertainty and a lot of instability, my favorite part of my faith is the soft landing place I have when I talk to God and the stability that I'm learning to trust in in that parent relationship, 100%. Um, the stability of my heavenly family, of a heavenly father, a heavenly mother, and a Jesus Christ who don't change, who are stable. And I can, you know, the six-year-old in me, the 30-year-old in me can trust that that will always be a safe place to land. And I, I'm now, I'm not responsible for them. I'm, they are here to love me. That's, it's a pretty special feeling for me. Well, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back row.